The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. So I'm actually not recording this intro real time like I do 99% of the time because I went to Louisville this weekend with three of our ASDA board members for my chapter at Michigan for the ASDA annual session and I did not get back till late Sunday evening in that case, and I have a midterm the following day in oral surgery. So I knew that I would not have time to record this intro, and I wanted to make sure that I at least said hello to you and introduced our guest. Our guest this week is Mark Johnson, and we're going to talk all about student loans. So sit back, relax, and try to learn something new about your financial future and how to best work with a financial planner when you should get started, what your options are for paying off your loans, what what it really means to refinance loans. Those are all topics that we're going to cover in this week's episode, and I hope you find it useful. Okay, hello everyone. We have another guest here today and we're going to be talking all about student loans. So I'm going to let Mark introduce himself and his background a little bit. Thanks, Haley. Yeah, my name is Mark Johnson and I'm a wealth advisor in St. Louis. I work with RBF Wealth Advisors. Uh, There's seven investment professionals at the firm. We all have 25 plus years of experience and uh, been in the investment industry a little over 30 years. It'll be 31 years in February. And uh, what we do is uh, develop comprehensive financial plans for our clients, uh, investment management, insurance planning. So the whole gamma, a 360 degree approach towards wealth management. And then in recent years, uh, we've kind of developed some expertise in the student loan, rep- uh, student loan repayment planning area, uh, specifically for dental professionals. Great. And like we were talking about before we actually started recording, I feel like most of the dental students I interact with aren't too well-versed when it comes to loan repayment options. So could you just break down some of the different strategies at a very broad level that there is for loan repayment? Sure. So I'm going to assume that most of the listeners will have the bulk of their student loans in federal student loans. So you, you go through the financial aid office at school and they uh, let you know how much you're entitled to. So that's probably the bulk. There may also be some students uh, that have picked up some private loans for from maybe entities like Sally May or Discover Wells Fargo would be three of the big ones. And so you, there could be a combination, I guess is what I'm saying, between federal loans, probably the bulk of them, and then maybe some smaller private loans. And so let's talk for just a minute about the federal loan repayment options. So you have a six month grace period after you um, graduate. Now, this is obviously in the context of a normal environment. In the last two years, uh, federal student loan payments and interest have been suspended as a result of COVID. President Biden uh, recently extended 
the forbearance through May 1st. So right now, there's no payments and, and interest accruing on most federal student loans. But that's supposedly, you know, they're going to turn that back on May the 1st. So for this year's graduating class of 2022, based on what we know today, they'll have a six-month grace period. And at the end of that six months, if they don't do anything with their federal student loans, they're automatically going to be enrolled in a 10-year standard uh you know, repayment plan. So if you got three, $400,000 in student loans, you're going to get an invoice in the mail for like $4,000 for your first payment. So most students um, are not equipped financially to handle that type of a, a payment right out of school. And so there's other options. There's what's called a standard graduated plan. And so that takes your student loans, extends them out as long as 25 years. You have a very small payment starting out and it kind of ratchets up over time. And then a very, very popular uh, program within the federal uh, programs is called income-driven repayment. And uh, there are four income-driven repayment plans, but only two really pertain to uh, current graduates. Uh, that would be revised pay-as-you-earn or pay-as-you-earn. And each of those have some unique characteristics about them. I'll just make a quick plug for revised pay-as-you-earn. Uh, revised pay-as-you-earn has a very significant interest subsidy or interest benefit, and if a graduate qualifies for that, they can get as much as 50% of their interest um, basically subsidized, uh, and uh, that's a pretty powerful tool, especially in the first year or two out of school. You're getting settled. Maybe you have to relocate, and it's nice to see that you know, today's graduates are probably going to be graduating with an average interest rate on their federal student loans of maybe around six and a half percent, something like that. And so, you know, if you're able to get Uncle Sam to to cover half of that, perhaps, or, or a good portion of that, uh, maybe 30 percent, 40 percent in the first year, uh, that's that could be very attractive. So for most graduates, again, looking at the federal student loans that they have, you have your again, your standard your standard graduated or the two income-driven repayment plans, revised pay-as-you-earn or pay-as-you-earn. Uh, one, one, a couple other things on the income-driven repayment plans. Uh, those plans can be, they start out at 10% of your discretionary income. So a first-year dentist uh, obviously is probably at their lowest pay that they'll be over their career. So you start out with a low payment, 10% of your discretionary income. You can extend those payments for as long as 20 or 25 years. If you still have a balance at the end, Uncle Sam will forgive the balance, but it's taxable income. So if, let's say you have $200,000 left at the end of 20 or 25 years, which is possible um, depending on how much you started out with. Uncle Sam forgives that, uh, but that 200,000 then would be added, that's forgiven would be added to your taxable income in that year, maybe 20 or 25 years from now. So in our work with clients, uh, we certainly do not want them to be making uh, student loan payments until you know, their first kid is coming out of, um, you know, if, if you graduate from dental school and, and get married quickly and have your first child on an income-driven repayment plan, you might still be making college payments as your uh, firstborn is, is graduating college. And that we don't think is a very good idea. So our goal is to help our clients uh, figure out a plan to repay their student loans within seven to 12 years 
of graduation. So do you advise on investments as well, or is more so just where to put the money that they're going to be earning? So we are a a full full service wealth advisory firm. And so we do investments, insurance planning. So we do disability life insurance. Uh, We also do, you know, retirement plans. So, so we work with clients probably starting in their fourth year of dental school, maybe six months from graduation, all the way through, let's say my retirement in 20 years. So we have clients that we've been working with since they were D4s that are now practice owners, and we're helping them with their employee retirement plans, as well as maybe business overhead expense insurance. So, so we kind of do it all where, we, um, where we've kind of carved out a niche, I would say, among you know, wealth advisors is that we've uh, developed some expertise in student loan repayment planning. And so what's critically important, what we believe is critically important, is that um, borrowers or graduates um, think about their student loans in the context of an overall financial plan. Because if you're graduating with three or 400,000 or more, we have clients with seven, 800,000 in student loan debt. I just saw an article uh, posted on uh, one of the Facebook groups, dental Facebook groups I'm a member of that said next year, NYU is going to be $750,000 or, you know, a typical graduate starting next year, uh, a D1 will graduate with about 750000 you know, of student loan debt. So that, that amount of debt is not going to be able to be um, dealt with in isolation from the other important financial planning matters. Most people graduating from dental school, you know, maybe they're going to be married within a few years, want to buy a house, maybe need to upgrade your transportation, looking to buy a practice. Uh, all of those financial planning items um, are going to be impacted by how you approach your student loans. And so when we advise clients, you know, my first, one of my first questions is, is, well, tell me where you see your career going in the next two to five years. Because if someone says, I want to get very aggressive with paying down my student loan debt, I mean, the word aggressive could mean, you know, one thing to someone and another thing to someone else. And so what I would want to know is, well, when you say aggressive, what does that mean? Do you want it paid off in five years, 10 years? Um, do you plan on being a practice owner? Because if you're, if you want to be a practice owner in three years, aggressively paying off student loan debt is going to impede your ability to do that. Um, I actually was with a group of uh, uh, dental students last night on uh, the great state of Tennessee. And uh, one of the other vendors that was uh, at the at the um, happy hour we hosted uh, was a lender. And that lender said that they typically are looking for somewhere between seven and 12% of liquidity uh, when they lend money uh, to a dentist who wants to buy a practice. So if somebody wants to be a practice owner in two or three years after graduation, if you you know, get very aggressive with your student loans and you don't save any additional money elsewhere, you just pay down, put it all, put all your extra money towards your student loans. You know, you walk into a bank to get a loan to buy a practice. You don't have seven to 12% of the loan value in the, in, in a liquid form, either in a savings account or an investment account that you have access to, you may or may not get that loan. And so we really try to put that plan together 
you know, you want to fund your Roth IRA, you want to get some disability and life insurance, all of those foundational um, financial planning items you want to take care of as you graduate. Um, uh, and you'll have plenty of time to pay off your student loans, you know, and so finding that right balance between, you know, paying down student loan debt and then addressing the other important financial planning issues in those first two or three years out of school is critical. And, um, you know, in my humble opinion, the, the best strategy to repay your student loan debt is to become a practice owner as soon as possible. You know, practice owners make, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50% more than an associate in a, even in a small practice. And if it's a larger practice, you can make a lot more. So, so we try to help our clients think through, you know, the different, different strategies that might be appropriate for them given uh, their career path, their anticipated career path. Yeah. So it's definitely not a one size fits all plan. And that's why it's good to meet with professionals and figure out what makes sense for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there is no one size fits all. That's for sure. So another thing I always hear about is, oh, when you graduate, you should try to refinance for a lower interest rate. Can you explain for people what refinancing is and how you could refinance, especially if you have federal loans? Sure. So refinancing is simply you've got some federal student loans or perhaps you've got some high interest private loans. And so all you're doing is you're going out and looking for a lender. Let's say your interest rates on your loans right now are six and a half percent. And you're going out to look for a lender who might uh, refinance your student loans and Let's say you have 300,000 right now at six and a half percent, and they're going to lend you six, they're going to lend you 300,000 at four and a half percent. So you would save, you know, 2% a year on a $300,000 balance. That's $6,000, you know, at least in that first year of savings, just in interest. And so there's a number of companies out there that, um, that are interested in refinancing uh, loans with uh, for dental students or dental graduates. Um, generally speaking, it's not a good idea to. Well, the average dental student graduates today with a little over three hundred thousand in student loan debt. Um, some some much more than that, depending on where you went to school. Generally speaking, uh, I don't see it being a good idea to refinance immediately out of school uh, because what happens is is you know. These lenders are not going to, some lenders will go out to 20 years, but most lenders, you know, it's 15 years or less in terms of refinance. So on a $300,000 loan at 15 years, you know, you're probably looking at a $3,000, $3,500 a month payment. And so again, most first year dentists, I think the average income is 130000 so if you're looking at living expenses, you know, having a $3,000 payment right out of school is probably not, most, most first year graduates aren't going to have the ability to do that, maybe unless they're married and their spouse has a good income. And so typically what we see happening is um, graduates get on an income-driven repayment plan, they build up some emergency savings, they fund their Roth IRA that first year you know, maybe they need to upgrade their transportation from, from school. Maybe they've been driving the same vehicle since undergrad and they need to upgrade a little bit. Hopefully they don't go out and buy a brand new Audi, but um, upgrade their transportation. And then maybe, you know, two or three years after graduation, 
it might make sense to to refinance. Now, if you have some private loans at eight or nine percent, then obviously it makes sense to maybe take a look at refinancing those right out of school. Uh, if you do have the financial ability, maybe you've got some help from family or you're married and your spouse has a good income, uh, it does make sense to crunch the numbers and see if you can afford to do a private refinance because right now interest rates are at like their all-time low. And so it, it could make sense if you, can find, if you can afford the payment. One thing I will say though, is for those first year graduates, and maybe even after you've been out of school for two years, if you're on an income-driven repayment plan, depending on your situation you and your loan balance, I referred to earlier on revised pay as you earn, you might be eligible for some interest subsidy or interest benefit on that income-driven repayment plan. Uh, so your effective interest rate isn't gonna be six and a half percent. It'll be something less than that. Uh, but you really do have to crunch the numbers. And, you know, one thing I would say is that obviously um, borrowers are getting inundated by emails all the time from these private lenders, how much money you're going to save and, and isn't going to be your life's going to be wonderful when you refinance. But you really have to crunch the numbers and see if it makes sense for you. And uh, most most first year dentists are not in a position financially to to be swinging a three or four thousand dollar a month payment. And that's oftentimes going to be the case when you do a private refinance, just because, you know, you might have three or 400, maybe 500,000 in student loan debt. So you also mentioned before um, a little bit about residency. So dental students that are either entering into a general dentistry residency where they're making a smaller salary, $30,000, a year, is it advisable to defer your loan payments at that time because you're still in education? Or do you think they should try to come up with a plan to be paying off a little bit at that point? Great question. So first of all, I want to say you should always have a plan. Now, maybe that plan is I'm not going to I'm going to defer it during residency. Uh, But I would say that that should have been a well thought out decision. I, un, unfortunately, I think a lot of um, graduates that go on to residency just assume that the best approach, because maybe they're not going to be making a lot of money, like you said, somewhere between thirty to maybe even fifty thousand dollars. I know some pediatric residency programs that pay, you know, fifty thousand dollars. So even though they're not going to be making a lot of money, they say, "Well, I can't afford to make that payment," and they don't, they don't even pursue it. Uh, generally speaking, I think it's very wise to be enrolled in an income-driven repayment plan while you're in residency. So a couple of reasons. Income-driven repayment, as the name implies, is based on your income. So if you make $30,000 while you're in, if you make $30,000 while you're in residency, you're going to have a very, very low payment. If you are in a residency program that has let's say your residency programs at a federally qualified health clinic that qualifies for public service loan forgiveness. Okay. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit, but as you might know, public service loan forgiveness, you go work in a federally qualified health clinic for 10 years, you make um, 120 qualifying payments. Essentially what you're doing over that 10 years is you're just paying really the interest on your student loans. It's, it's not quite that, but it, it works out to be about that. 
Okay, so you're making essentially the interest payment on your loans. And at the very tail end of that 10 years, that's all forgiven. Well, if you've got a, let's say pediatric dentistry, let's say you've got a, a two year residency program, that's 24 months that you could have knocked off of that 120 month commitment in public service loan if your residency is at a federally qualified health clinic. So that's one thing. The other thing is, let's say you make 30,000 is pretty low on a, on a, um, one-year residency, but let's say you're let's say you're going to make forty thousand dollars in residency for a one-year residency. Well, that's about a two hundred dollar a month payment on an income-driven repayment plan for a single person. And so, if you're going to be getting a two hundred dollar payment, if you're going to have to make a two hundred dollar payment, so twenty four hundred dollars. Let's say you're on revised pay as you earn, and let's say that you have four hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt at 6%. So that comes out to $2,000 a month of interest. Is my math right on that? Yes. So 400,000 times 6%, that's 24,000 divided by 12 is 2,000 a month in interest. If you're required to make a $200 payment, so you send in your $200 payment, there's $1,800 of interest left over. On the revised pay as you earn plan, Uncle Sam is going to pick up half of that 1800. So it's not going to, it's just going to go away. It's going to vanish. And so instead of having your interest accruing at $2,000 a month while you're in residency, at least in that first year, after you made your $200 payment, Uncle Sam's going to pay $900 of your interest. So that's 7,200. So nine, 900, I'm sorry, 900 times 12, right? is what, $8,100? And so, is my math right on that? Let me just check it here. It's, I've, had a, I've had a long day already. 900 times 12, 10,800. Okay, $10,800. That's gonna save you $10,800. So would you make a $2,400 investment to, to get 10,800? Most people would say that's a pretty good investment. So can you come up, can you scratch up $200 a month to make your payment? to have $10,800 of your interest just vanish, I would say, let's work on a financial plan and find that $200. So I strongly recommend that under most circumstances, clients or graduates in residency, at least get enrolled in an income-driven repayment plan, or at least crunch the numbers and see if they qualify for something like I just described. And uh, this could be obvious, but I don't know it. Your income-based repayment plan, sorry, I got tongue twisted there. Income-based repayment plan is just based on your personal income or does it include a spouse if you get married? Great question. Great question. So if you're married on the revised pay-as-you-earn plan, so that's one of the two that I've talked about today, on revised pay-as-you-earn, it looks at household income, Okay. The, the other plan, pay as you earn, if you file your taxes separately, so you and your spouse file separately, on pay as you earn, the calculation will only be based on the borrowers or the person that's enrolled in the income-driven repayment plan, pay as you earn, okay? So there are some nuances, and so oftentimes, um, so about 15% of the business that we, we do with in this space is what I call redos. Someone got enrolled in a plan after graduation, 
maybe they didn't seek professional advice. They talked to an unqualified party, a friend, a classmate, somebody who graduated last year or or who knows, they, they, they watch somebody on YouTube that maybe isn't qualified. Lots of, lots of sources out there for information. They got on the wrong plan. And then two or three years later, maybe they, they hear me on a, a podcast or find us. And then we go back and look at what they did. And, uh, you know, they missed one little thing like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to follow my, I'm married. I didn't know I was supposed to follow. We didn't know we were supposed to file our taxes separately or, I got on this revised pay as you earn, or I got on pay as you earn. My spouse wasn't working. Somebody said pay as you earn is only for married couples. Repay is for single people. I'm married. My spouse doesn't make that much money. They could have gone on repay and had a significant part of their interest subsidized. And they just didn't know that there was even any interest subsidy. And so the other thing I would say is that the loan servicers, so there's about 10 or 12 loan servicers that provide the customer service for everyone that has federal loans, they are not qualified to give advice on what someone should or shouldn't do in terms of their repayment. But oftentimes graduates or borrowers call the 1-800 number and they ask you know, questions. Um, these folks on the other line, God bless them, they have a, a hard job to do, but they're not financial advisors. And they might, you know, and so when someone's graduating with three, four, five hundred thousand dollars of student loans, you don't want to be taking advice from a customer service person on the other end um, of the line. That, and I see oftentimes people get put into the uh, wrong plan simply because they they haven't invested any time in visiting with a qualified individual. So I guess I'm wondering, let me figure out how to phrase this well, but the students basically so they're graduating their fourth year and when and how do they tell the government which refine not refinancing which repayment plan they'd want to do or do you just like i guess how do you communicate that as to what sure plan they're going to follow so typically i think it makes sense to start thinking about a plan at the same time you're looking for a job or as you're applying for residency. Or once you found out that you're going into a residency program, you've been accepted in a residency program because your student loan repayment plan in the first instance is gonna be contingent upon your income, right? Are you going to work in a federally qualified health clinic? Okay, so that's that's one path of planning. Are you going to work in a private uh, maybe a DSO or a private um, private office, private practice, that's another path of planning. Are you, I visited with a young man last night graduating from the University of Tennessee, and his intention uh, is to buy a practice six months out of school. Well, that's a different track of planning. Are you going on to residency? That's a different track. So there's really, in my mind, four different tracks of planning that needs to take place. And you start developing that plan as you're looking for a job, maybe three, four, five months before graduation, or as soon as you know you're going to residency. So if you know you're being accepted into an orthodontic residency program, chances are you're not gonna get paid, right? Orthodontics generally doesn't pay in residency. I think there's only a couple programs in the nation that do. GPRs, most do, AEGD, most do. 
pediatrics, I'm sure they all do, or a, a large percentage of them do. And once you find out what your income is going to be, then you can start working on your plan. And so once once you know what your income is going to be or what you're doing after graduation, you can start working on your plan. And then uh, you can decide, do I, do I want to, you've got that six month grace period after you graduate. Do I want to use my six month grace period uh, before I tell the department of education through my loan servicer um, what plan I want, or do I want to begin like most public health, if you're going into public service loan forgiveness, you probably want to enroll in a plan immediately upon graduation. You don't want your six-month grace period to get extended because that's six months you could have been chipping away at your 120 months of qualified payments. And so usually, um, you know, if you know what you're going to get paid, the six-month grace period, that's just six more months of interest at full speed, right? So if you got 400000 of student loan debt, if you just kick the can down the road and exhaust your full six months uh, grace period, that's another $12,000 in interest uh, under normal circumstances, right? Interest is turned off right now. So, you know, there's some things where people say, oh, I don't have to do anything in residency. I can just defer my loans. Bad idea most of the time. Oh, I've got a six month grace period. I don't have to do anything for six months. Well, that's $12,000 of interest. And if you maybe had been involved at revised pay as you earn during those six months, let's say you got the maximum amount of uh, interest subsidy, which is up to 50%, that could have saved you $6,000. So, you know, one of the encouragements I, of, that I would like to share with your listeners is procrastination is really expensive when it comes to student loans. Uh, you know, start working on a plan you know, a few months before graduation, certainly once you know you're going to residency, you've been accepted, that's, that's the trigger to start working on a plan. And as soon as you start interviewing for jobs and you start getting some job offers and you can look at, okay, what's my income going to be with this job? What's my income going to be here? Then once you kind of have an idea, I want to pursue, you know, a for-profit employer, you know, private practice, DSO, or I want to uh, pursue a you know federally qualified health clinic public service loan. Then you can really start you can start working on your plan. Okay, that that definitely clears it up for me. Thank you. You bet. So before we wrap up, is there any final advice you want to give to dental students, or anything you feel is important that we didn't discuss today? Um, thank you for the question. I think that. Uh, you know, people shouldn't be overly anxious about their student loan debt. And if they make wise choices on how they spend that student loan money while they're in dental school, uh, they should be in good shape. So, you know, don't take out more than, than you need. You're going you're gonna to have to pay that money back. And, uh, and I understand that, you know, as a young, you know, 20-something in dental school, you know, you've never had to use, you've never had to work with you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars. And so the impact of that when you graduate, you know, a three or four thousand dollar a month payment is a significant amount of money. Okay. And so I would my first rec encouragement is don't take any more than you need. Um, if you can stay away from private loans that have much higher interest rates, I would avoid, you know, taking out private loans while you're in school to the extent that you can. 
if you can have a little bit of a side hustle, I know you guys are super, super busy, but any income that you can make while you're in, I've got a number of clients and I know I have known a number of dental students that have had a little bit of a side hustle, you know, during school, whether it's, you know, DoorDash or, or whatever, any income that you can have, I would say that, you know, don't use your student loans to go on spring break. That's, that would probably, that's not the intended use of those funds. Um, you know, start thinking about, uh, you know, kind of the path that you want to go to maybe in your third and fourth year. I, I would also say that, and this might be a little controversial, I'm not a dental professional, I'm a financial advisor, but for those people that are thinking about going on to a one-year residency program, I would really crunch the numbers on that. And I would ensure that that particular program has some, some metrics uh, that you can look at to say, you know, after I graduate from a one-year residency program, I'm going to make X amount more than if I had just gone right out of dental school and started practicing dentistry. Sometimes I think, again, I'm not a dental professional, I'm just a financial advisor, but a one-year residency program probably costs that resident seventy dollars to $100,000 of income. So to take that amount of income, and let's say we could just invest that over at a 7% rate of return, $70,000 at 7%, money doubles every 10 years at 7%. So that first 10 years, that was that's 140,000, right? Or 70,000 is 140,000. Then it goes to 280. Then it goes to 560. And 40 years later, that turns out to be a million dollar decision. So if, if you're, if you can't be convinced that you're going to make a million dollars more going into a one-year residency program, then I would really scratch my head, assuming all things are equal as to whether or not a one-year residency program really makes sense. And so um, you have to make sure there's certain um, types of uh, procedures that you know are high profit pr procedures like implants and those types of things. And so maybe if you had a you know, a residency program that instructed you in some, some high-end uh, procedures that, that could really help your income right out of the gate after residency, then, you know, so be it. And again, I'm not talking about um, the other longer residency programs, but um, in my work, and we, we've worked with over 200 dental professionals and helping them build plans, I have personally not seen um, much additional income uh, at least in those first few years out of, out of a one-year residency program, as opposed to uh, somebody just going straight into dentistry right out of dental school. I've got clients that have made, you know, $300,000, $400,000, you know, in their first year or two out of dental school. And, you know, I have clients that are graduated from a residency program, one-year residency program that, are, that aren't making that much. So you have to really crunch the numbers when you, when you make these decisions. Uh, I guess the other thing I would say is, you know, don't take advice from unqualified parties. You know, everybody's everybody's willing to give you free advice and free advice is usually worth about that. It's usually not worth a whole lot. And then when you think of your student loans, think of them, don't think of them in isolation from the other important things that you're going to have to contend with when you graduate. Maybe you're going to start a family. Maybe you're going to want to buy a house. Maybe you're 
going to be on track to buying a practice in a, a few years out of school. All of those important, all of those other things are important. And in our view, the best way to approach that is in the context of an overall financial plan. So that those are kind of my closing thoughts. Yeah, that's great. And I think good thing to end the episode on. Hopefully some of those will really stick in people's minds as they go through their planning for the rest of literally their lives. This is important stuff we're discussing. So I appreciate your time. Before we wrap up, can you remind everyone of the company you work for, the resources you have, and how they could get in touch with you? Sure. Thanks a lot. Yes. um, You can visit our website at studentloansrx.com. That's studentloansrx.com. We do offer a free 30-minute consultation. And so if any of your listeners are, uh, we typically don't offer those until you're a D4. Um, So if you're a D4 and you're looking to visit about your particular situation, we offer a free 30-minute Zoom consultation. You would just click on the free consult button on our um, website there. If you've got some unique circumstances, you're a D2 or D3, you can click the button and we can exchange a couple emails to see if it makes sense to, to do a consultation at this time. But Um, And then you can go to our resources page and we have a number of um, dental oriented podcasts where we've been interviewed on that. And as soon as we're published, uh, Haley has been very gracious to um, allow us to put uh, this podcast on our website. We also have our full length webinar. It's kind of a generic um, discussion on the topics we visited today. That's a little over an hour. So you want to get a soda and a bag of chips and and listen to that. Um, But We have some resources and then also we do send out a newsletter. And so if you're interested in getting on our newsletter database, you can just uh, send me an email at studentloansrx at rbfadvisors. That's R as in Robert, B as in boy, F as in Frank, advisors.net. And then I'll give you one more thing is you can also send me a secure text at 314-347. 3499. Again, that number is 314-347-3499. And I really appreciate uh, you having me on today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much.